Hi there, ladies and gents. Anthony Taylor here from SME Strategy. Thanks for joining us on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Uh, today, I'm joined by Ellen Naylor, who's the author of Win-Loss Analysis. Uh, in the podcast, we talk about uh, how to work more effectively with others within your organization and as part of your strategic plan. Uh, we talk about some of the macro and micro factors that go into strategic planning, and then even looking at your competitive environment to see what works. Uh, so, you know, on our podcast, we really just try to interview people who have a broad range of experience in strategy and leadership. And our goal is to add value to you as leaders and help you become more effective in your work, in your life, so it becomes that much more enjoyable. So thank you again uh, for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Talk to you soon. Hi, everyone. Anthony Taylor with SME Strategy, and today I'm joined with Ellen Naylor, who is the author of Win-Loss um, and also an expert on cooperative intelligence. Ellen, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Perfect. And I'm sorry, I actually, Win-Loss Analysis. I knew I was missing a word there. Um, excellent. So thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today. Um, really quickly, before we get going, can you tell uh, people a bit about uh, your new book and, and some of the consulting you've been doing over the past uh, you know, 20 plus years? Well, the new book is Win-Loss Analysis, How to Capture and Keep the Business You Want. And I go through 12 steps since I've done this since 1989, so you don't have to make the same mistakes I've made. 12 steps to put together a win-loss process. And what is win-loss in the first place and why should you care? And what win-loss is, is figuring out why and how your customers and those who chose a competitor made a buying decision for you or for them. And, and that's it in a nutshell. And companies, and the reason I wrote this book, every time I've done a win-loss project and the company acts on the advice and the recommendations I give them, which are basically from their customers and those who chose a competitor, and a little analysis on my side, they make more money. So that's why I wrote the book. It's always profitable, and in the process of writing the book, I dug up some research that even emphasizes this more, that companies on average who put together a formal win-loss process can expect to see 15 to 30% improvement in their win rates. That's excellent. So it, it's pretty cool. Perfect. Yeah. So, I mean, within that, like obviously, you know, we're talking like the, the subtitle is how to capture and keep the business you want. But, you know, from that, um, there's a lot of applications to, to strategy and, and working with people. So high level, can, can you speak a bit about the cooperative intelligence side of things? Well, um, I'll speak about the cooperative intelligence side, but I should stop and mention the strategic side of win-loss, and then we'll get into cooperative intelligence. We used win-loss analysis at Bell Atlantic way back in the boonies, uh, in time, uh, before probably some of your, your listeners were born, <laughs> which is kind of humorous, isn't it, um, to affect a strategic uh, acquisition when Bell Atlantic was Bell Atlantic. So, you know, that was like the late 1980s. And we hired a consultant who helped us. And what did they do for a living? They looked at PBX systems for a living for all the competition and had many customers, so they knew why people bought and didn't buy from the various competitors that were out there. And uh, we made a decision based on that, and we used win-loss analysis to affect this acquisition 
because it was a very humble way of presenting uh, why we should do something from the customer's point of view instead of from our own. And so it was very effective because management, as you know, often has an ego. And if it's the customer saying it, well, they're, they're pretty interested in that because they'll make more money that way, right? So uh, that, that's who's making the buying decisions after all. So, And, you know, our recommendation was readily taken because it was so well thought out, but also we had an expert who did win loss, basically, in a way for a living in that space. So, And to cooperative intelligence, though, um, it is a, it's a subject I've been talking about for about almost 11 years now. And I came upon it, and my background is I do competitive intelligence, and I've been doing that since 1985. And that's looking at the competitive environment. That is basically everything outside of your company when you're making a decision. Macro sorts of things like the politics and culture and things like that as well as Porter's Five Forces, you know, substitutes and all that other kind of good stuff, the competition, your customers, when you're making a decision about what to do when you're moving forward. Many people in competitive intelligence are very frustrated because they're often at the manager level, so they're not heard, they're not listened to, and yet they're really bright people. And so I thought, well, probably a lot of the reason people are not listened to is because they are just the manager and they haven't really proven themselves. And you have to prove yourself first, right, in order for people to pay attention to you. And one really great way to do that is through cooperative intelligence. And that is by thinking about the other person's needs uh, and addressing those as your priority and letting them know that their needs are so important to to you to, to uh, be effective and that you're not just doing it as a collaborative thing. You're doing it as a cooperative thing. And the difference there is you're not expecting something in return. So it goes a little bit differently than the collaboration we hear about today. And I started practicing this as a competitive intelligence professional, and it was just interesting where it took me. Um, your attitude can really affect so much in life. And and so that's really what's behind cooperative intelligence is that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally get that. I mean, when we work with our clients and, you know, when we when I was working personally within organization, um, the, of what I found worked the best was, uh, and right to your point, was, you know, really listening to the people that were part of the organization. And then when creating and implementing a strategy, that it's really understanding it from like the customer's point of view, but in my case, the customer would be the employees. So really understanding it from the employee's standpoint so a manager can effectively get more things done, uh, not collaboratively. It's not like you do this for me, I will do this for you. It's, you know, we're all, you know, we're all on the same team. We're all working towards the same thing and, you know, that we need to be collaborative for us to, to be successful. Um so that's what I got from that. Would you say that that, you know, is there any other applications that I, that I might have missed from your, your short example? No, I, I just think it's, it's interesting to think about um, cooperation on three different levels, and maybe this is useful to your listeners. And um, the first one is leadership, and, and you, everybody's a leader. You know, you're a leader of yourself, right? And so... Regardless of where you are in the company, you can motivate others to cooperate with you by just your good example. 
you know, and, you know, so often what leaders say is, is less about that. It's more about what they what they do. And um, so cooperative leaders aren't full of ego. They aren't pushing their own agendas, and they're open, open to others. And, you know, you can't control others' attitudes towards you, but you can control your own attitude towards others. So that's kind of what I think of when I think of a cooperative leader, that part, that sort of leg of the stool of cooperative intelligence. Then the second stool is the connection stool. And I think, or second leg of the stool is a connection. And I think about that in terms of anybody you meet can be a valuable connection to you, maybe not right away, but you, you need to make everybody you connect with feel important and that they're the only person right now. An example is when you go to uh, networking meetings, often enough people are looking around while they're talking to you for other people they want to connect with, and they're really not listening to you. That's an example of, of not doing it, right? But that happens a lot. But you realize that anybody you connect with is part of your network, and even a stranger has the potential to become an important connection. And again, you're, you're, you're giving that way. And... Uh, uh, you realize that you can provide a valuable service to them in connection, and your intellectual capital can offer can also be offered along those lines. And then the third leg of the stool is communication. And you know we've never had so many different ways to communicate than we do today, and we're probably going to have even more soon enough. We'll be doing it by you know putting eyeballs to eyeballs, <laughs> ten yards away or something. Um, but we witness that there's fewer face-to-face meetings, for example, and, of course, now we can do Skype and Google Chat and Zing and all these other technologies to be face-to-face without really being present with each other. And it's, it's a wonderful replacement, I think. But um, we have so many different ways to communicate that I think we need to be all the more sensitive as to what's the best way to communicate with those people we deal with in business or even personally. You know, are they the type that still likes the old phone call? Do they like Skype? Are they more into writing? Um, And speaking of writing, writing's never been more important than it is today since so much is digital. But yet we have a lot of people who don't write very well, so there's a a large... uh, It's very easy to be misunderstood, you know? So, And the other leg of of, uh, uh, what I include in communication, because I think it's so important, is... Just being an active listener, um, as you were saying earlier, being good at listening with your eyes, your ears, your emotions, just totally present and observing body language if you're actually in, in the presence of somebody and listening to their, the tone of their voice and getting a sense of their feeling and intention so you're really with them. Yeah. You know, you have an open mind. And good listening will differentiate you from most people out there. It's, it's it's not it's not it's not taught in school unfortunately it's it's almost like something you have to learn in business or you learn after school because you know you're encouraged to raise your hand and say you know it all right <laughs> so it's kind of a mixed one yeah. anyway those are the three legs of the stool of cooperative intelligence the way I see it yeah absolutely that's perfect I mean and that I could probably overlay that you know perfectly with our you know two to three best practices for leading strategy and, and really focusing on the managers and the leaders who are our listeners is, you know, really how can you uh, 
exemplify or how can you lead or do things better within leadership, within creating connection, and then with communication. Um, to your last piece, Ellen, or point, I suppose, the uh, book I'm reading right now is called Quiet, the, the Power of Introverts in an Extroverted-Driven World. Um, mm. and, and I'm really enjoying it. Somebody that would consider themselves both an extrovert and an introvert. And um, the people that are loudest often get the, their way, but the people that are quiet have really, really good insights to share as well. And as a leader and a manager, it's important to recognize that just because somebody speaks first or speaks loudest does not necessarily mean um, that that is the right way to go um, and just because that person was first. So it's very interesting coming from, let's say, I would say extroverted position, uh, understanding the, the power of truly listening and communicating and connecting with everybody not just, we'll say, extroverts for, for this example. So, so thank you for that. Um, so uh, one question I have, I guess we've heard about some of your best practices. What are some of the things to avoid, um, you know, within strategy or within, you know, doing some competitive analysis or doing some, some win-loss analysis? What are, what are some risks to avoid within all of that? Well, I think the biggest risk is not being prepared on a couple of levels. Um, the first level is to uh, interview people, whether it's a win-loss analysis or whether you're leading a strategy session, before you yourself are grounded. And by grounded, I mean, you know, you, you, you're just focused totally on what you're going to do. You shut off those little voices that like to talk and say you're going to fail or, or you just have lots of other things on your mind. So you get grounded so you're totally there for them. Um, the other is just to simply to have done your homework. So, you know, to me a nightmare is when I haven't had a chance to get grounded and I feel like I haven't adequately prepared for how an interview or a session might go. And I like to think about the questions I'm going to be asking because I'm usually interviewing people and or leading or facilitating. I want to think about how people might answer those questions. And so I create something like a decision tree in my own mind based on how they'll answer those questions. What else should I be asking? What else should I be sensitive to? How can I better probe? And at the same time, have the sensitivity, because this is another nightmare I would have, the sensitivity to not be insulting. I want to, I want the person I'm talking to to feel better about themselves at the end of my interview with them than when I first said hello to them. I have that as an intention. And that makes a big difference too. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So what I got from that, yeah, just being being prepared and walking into whatever engagement is. So let's say, you know, if we're about to do a planning process or, or you know, just starting a long list or meeting with some people, really taking the time to make sure that you are prepared and understand, like really take it seriously instead of just sort of doing it as an ad hoc basis. You, well, that's right. the adage goes, you plan to, uh, was it, if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. So Yeah, that's right. And, you know, too, if you don't, the other good thing about planning is sessions never go, quite as you think they will, whether it's talking to one person at a time or whether it's, you know, you've got a room full of people. And so if you're prepared, when things don't go as planned, 
you're all set because you kind of thought through things enough somehow or another you could kind of dance and land on your feet nicely and think of a way to keep the conversation going if that's what it is or if there's somebody to your example earlier who's the loud person who's used to getting their way all the time and you notice there's a few people who haven't said a peep they often have the best ideas they just don't talk you know because that's just not their style you want to pull it out of them you can kind of sit back and say okay you know we've those were great ideas we haven't heard from these people you know whatever it is just to be ready for the unexpected yeah, absolutely. Totally get that. So, um, maybe sort of a side conversation, but one of the things that you mentioned you do is, you know, you look at the competitive environment and you look at the environment outside of the organization. Um, so can you speak a bit to that? And then maybe if you can put it like under a frame of like, you know, within the strategic planning process and, and driving strategy, why is it so important to, you know, in that case, like be prepared, do your, do your homework and really understand what's going on outside of uh, your own uh, business? Well, let's see, where do I start with that? That was about 10 questions, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know, sorry about that. Uh, but looking outside of your company, let's just start out with that. Um, because you presumably know what's going on in your own company unless you operate as um, islands within your own company, which that's another discussion. But let's let's assume you know you, you understand your own environment of your company. You understand the resources you have, people and equipment, you know whatever business you're in, and um, and and uh, technology. But you you need to understand when you're making strategic decisions or even tactical ones. What's everybody else doing and what are the common things in the environment that everybody is equally affected by because there's nothing they can do about any of them except try and change them perhaps, but that, that's the way they are right now, such as the economy, the political situation, don't even get me started there, and you know, just how, how the political, the changing political times, like next year in the United States, how, how are things going to change based on a new president, right? And all the cabinets and the whole nine yards, how is that going to change? And those are the things you really can't control because, you know, they're there. Whether you like them or not, they're there, right? And so the, it's the sort of macro factors. And then the less macro factors are just, well, let's say you're in the IT world. What's changing in technology and what do you see coming down in the few, next few years amongst your competitors? What are your customers asking for? What are your competitors' customers talking about? What are, what are the unmet market needs that you think you could fulfill? Um, are there going to be substitutes that come out? Are, are, are there going to be competitors that don't exist today but will maybe in six months' time because they can easily develop what you're working on or they'll acquire somebody else or be partners with them? It's all that kind of thing you want to look at when you're, you're looking into the future, even just one year ahead of time, right? So that's my short answer to your very long question. And, and I, I, I know I didn't address it all, so you can remind me what it is I missed. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to, I mean, you touched on it perfectly. It's really, I mean, in, in the, when building a strategy, if all you take into consideration is your own company, then, you know, you're also, you know, planning to fail because you don't take into consideration and the exact frameworks I would use, you know, scenario planning. What happens if this happens? What happens if this happens? What happens if this happens? Like creating different realities for the future. 
um, doing like a pestle analysis, looking at the political, economical, social, technological, legal, and environmental trends that are happening in the future that affect not only your company, but every other organization, well, out there, just to a different levels. And then, well, you know, competitors, you know, what do you do differently or better than your competitors? And how can you uh, tie that in to create a competitive advantage, which really ties into the, you know, the win-loss analysis and really understanding what's in it for your customers and, and how you can make your organization, your service, your product as valuable as possible for your customers and where does that differentiation lie. Um, right. And how are you perceived? You know, out in the marketplace, because how you are and how you're perceived aren't necessarily the same thing. But uh, people do buy based on perceptions, and the market also sees you based on their perceptions. You know, so that's always an interesting angle to consider as well. Yeah, absolutely. What do you What do you need to do to change that perception if you don't like what's being said about you out there? You know, mm-hmm. I tell people that you only control half of your brand. The other right. half is the, the what people think about it or interpret, and the first half is obviously what you you, you know everything that you put into it. So, um, fantastic, thank you, Ellen. So, my final question, I guess, is you know, is there anything else that you would recommend uh, to a CEO or a manager responsible for leading strategy? Obviously, we've talked a lot about a lot of great stuff already today, but is there anything that we've missed? Um, that you think would be really useful in their sort of manager's toolbox, so to speak? Well, I think the biggest one that I would reiterate really is just uh, don't be so arrogant and just looking the way you want to see things. You know, often people hear what they want to hear, they see what they want to see, right? Uh, You need to keep an open mind and um, listen to what people are saying. And, And also, I notice that a lot of executives seem to be favoring what they learn from data. You know, big data is out there and it's it's going strong, and I think it's a wonderful thing. I'm not knocking big data, but I think I'm concerned about one trend that is really hurting management today, and that is they're looking for answers in the big data that maybe isn't totally there. You know, you still need to talk to people. You need to include people, and you need to include analysis of that big data. And uh, what happens when you don't do that is then you lose your critical thinking skills. And and that's a big concern I'm noticing that I don't see being done as well today as I have in years past. The big data thing is cool. It's, it's wonderful, all the things you can pick up on with content management and how people are interacting with different things on on your website, let's say, and what they're reading, and based on what they do, what they're what they're um, what they what they'll end up doing with you, what kind of a relationship they may even end up forming with your company. But what you don't know is you don't know why people are doing things if you don't talk to them. Yeah, absolutely. so that's 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 what I would uh, say as a final point. So actually, because I really want to make sure, like I've seen this come up a lot of times where people say communication and understanding is such an important piece. I mean, do you have some like an like practical things that people can do? I know you mentioned like, you know, looking people in the eyes and being an active listener, but how can people really even if they're good, how can they improve their listening and how can they improve um, you know, 
understanding what their people are saying. I mean, one of the perspectives that I use is, you know, put yourself really in the shoes of the other person. Do your best to really understand, you know, what they're growing through, what their day-to-day is like, you know, what do they have for lunch, what is their family like, so you can really get a deeper understanding of who they are as a person and how you two can work together. But do you have any other, uh, you know, practical pieces of advice for that? And if you don't, that's totally cool. Well, you know, just as far as being a better listener goes, um, often if you repeat something back that they just said to them, not the whole thing, but just a few words, a lot of times uh, they'll either say, yes, that's what I meant, or they'll say, no, you know, they'll, they'll embellish on it some more, or they'll, when they hear you saying it, they realize that's not what they meant. So there's a lot of tools like that that you can think about while you're listening to people and you can either say I thought I understood or you know something like that repeat what they said nod your head in agreement or or not if you don't agree with it say you know I don't really think I agree with that but maybe I don't understand what you're getting at not to be insulting you know and ask for clarification um those are some things that I notice work pretty well just in a, a regular conversation less less getting to know them but more just in the moment of the conversation is to really be so present with that person that you, if you have a sense that they're saying, for example, I mean, this is what I do for a living. I teach elicitation. That is how to, <laughs> how to get people to share with you um, without being quite so obvious about it. You, you, you want to just be so present with them right at the moment. And when you are, they know that even over a telephone call they can tell because most people aren't yeah right and i think that's such a good point and the only other thing i would add on top of that and i'm sure you'll agree that people appreciate it um that they will there's nothing wrong if you don't hear them if you don't understand them there's nothing wrong with saying hey can you just clarify that i don't know if i totally get you and they will like appreciate that and that will create that connection that will lead into that cooperation uh, piece that like okay yeah I get it you like they feel that you really care about them and you're there for their best interest so yeah yeah I had a great example growing up my father was the type of person that no matter who he was talking to he made them feel like they were the only person in the world that mattered right at that moment if you can do that when you're talking to people just in business and you know and in life um, that's a huge gift People will remember that and really appreciate it, as you were saying. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Ellen. Um, One final question. Uh, Where can people get a hold of you? Well, I have a website, which is my name, Ellen, E-L-L-E-N, Mailer, and like number, A-Y-L-O-R.com. Or my my phone number is 720-480-9499 or Twitter, Ellen Mailer. That's nice and easy. Um, or my email, ellen at ellenmailer.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So it's uh, Anthony Taylor with SME Strategy, and I've been speaking with Ellen Naylor, who's the author of Win-Loss Analysis, How to Capture and Keep the Business You Want. Thank you so much for uh, chatting with me today, Ellen. Okay, thank you, Anthony. Happy holidays. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.